The following is a conversation with Regine McVeigh, a welcoming soul with an innovative mind, drived by a phenomenal energy. She has been an influential student at the University of Alberta since 2019 and has increasingly invested her time toward creating a team with the goal of achieving sustainable food packaging across the University of Alberta campuses. Through our conversation, we discussed about studying in honors programs, sustainability, um, starting and pushing his student initiative toward being influential across the community, as well as her experiences being raised as a bicultural child. This episode was recorded in the summer uh, with the goal of being published on September 27th, um, which didn't happen. <laughs> Uh, solely because of me not being in, in the right headspace after um, the recent uh, incidents that happened in Iran. Um, I am a, I'm an international student from Iran and would like to thank all of the members of the U of A community for being so supportive and understanding toward this hard time that our Iranian fellow students are going through and had and have encountered um yeah and i hope you enjoy this episode i really really enjoyed talking to regine and you will probably too I'm doing well. Thank you again. Thank you very, very much for for doing this for the second time now. Uh, so we 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 lost the recording of the of the last session. Um, so technically, she's doing this for the second time. I really, really appreciate that. Of course. Thank you uh, for having me for a second time. <laughs> it's it's always a pleasure. No worries. Um, how is it going for you in summer? It's the end of it. So how are you having? Summer has actually been quite nice. I think the last time I talked to you, I was like, I sounded so, you know, depressed about the summertime. But upon some reflection, it's actually been a pretty good summer. Looking back, I got to do some traveling. I got to work on the project um, that we're going to talk about today. And also, I had a bit of time to not do schoolwork. So mm. I feel like those are all like three big pros in my books. Uh, how yeah. about you? How's your summer been? Uh, it was nice. I'm trying to transfer to North Campus. I'm an Augustan. I used to be an Augustana student, so uh, it's been quite challenging um, emailing, you know, different advisors, making sure every credit is transcript uh, is is transferred, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, my chemistry credits didn't get transferred, so I have to get assessed. Uh, I have a test coming up, so I'm just reading chem. I'm just preparing myself for Chem 101. Good luck. Um, yeah, thank you. But it's all right. Um, okay, so you are Rougine McVeigh, right? That's right, yes. Um, this is not my first time trying it, so... <laughs> um, no, we should just say you aced it on the first try. <laughs> yeah. For everyone listening, this is his first thank attempt. Yeah. Um, and you study what? Immunology okay. and infection. Mm -hmm. And you're on your... Uh, last semester I suppose yeah that's right I call it fifth and final semester which doesn't make any sense it's like I'm going into my fifth year but it's four and a half years mm -hmm. for me 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. How are you finding your program? Uh, you know what? I really, really enjoy it, to be honest. Uh, I'm in the honors program, so we get to do a little bit of extra like research type projects or like uh, lab techniques training, and I really enjoy it. I like actually specializing in a certain field in undergrad because you get to do like a deep dive in a certain subject. Mm. And I think, as you know, like, even though I have a really love ship, hate ship relationship with research, um, I'm like, I feel very like lucky and honored to be able to do like lab work and that sort of stuff. So overall, I've had a great time, to be honest. It's been a really fun degree. It's great. Uh, but at the same time, one of the downsides of, of studying in, a, in an honors program or in speci- specializing in something in undergrad is that you um, kind of automatically, I'm not saying closing, but you just limit yourself from a lot of opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, like I've seen that, well, obviously um, students majoring in an honor program have to get more mandatory credits than right. other students. So right. you automatically limit yourself from getting other courses. Um, right. Did you ever feel that, okay, I wish I had the ability to, to at least try these courses? Totally. And I think, you know, a lot of people in immunology are very like dedicated to wanting to become doctors or researchers. So this sort of program makes sense for them. I think May my personality is geared a little bit more differently. And so sometimes I think, oh, maybe I should have done like at least specialization where we have a little bit less restriction on our courses or like bio sci major and then whatever. Because I always think, oh, what if I minor in a business or what if I minor in, I don't know, philosophy? Like every day there's like a new thing I could have minored in. But I think like the one thing I did a little bit differently was all the options that I took, I took in like totally random classes or I guess we call them electives in university. But like, I took like philosophy classes and I took like, now I'm forgetting everything. I took like EAS. I've taken a little bit of everything. You know what I mean? I've taken mm-hmm. econ classes. And so I've had a, like a taste of everything. Um, and when I chose immunology, I thought it was the most general of all the specialization programs, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like neuroscience where you're only studying like brain and that sort of neurons. <laughs> you don't know what I mean? yeah. mm-hmm. It's extremely specialized when you study like I feel like a neuroscience honors degree. But with immunology, you still have like a little bit of experience in genetics or biochemistry or like the immune system from a physiological standpoint, but also viruses, bacteria and parasites. So you kind of get a little bit of everything that's linked to immunology. And I think immunology is very broad in that sense. And that's why mm-hmm. I like it, because theoretically, you can do almost anything with that. Whereas if I had taken maybe like engineering or something, I think I'd be feeling a little bit sad that I was only doing physics and math. You know what I mean? And I think I told you this last time, I just, I couldn't do, you know, math anyways. So that would be an all around no for me. <laughs> yeah, I understand. I, I, I understand how it feels to be completely a science person and studying biology and all of these things. And all of a sudden mm-hmm. there is a thought, I kind of like engineering. And there is mm-hmm. also the second thought that, no, you chose bio because you suck at math, man. That's Why? <laughs> I know. Everyone I know in biology is like, yeah, I know. Um, I just did this because I'm bad at math. And I remember in high school, I remember I went to my mom and I had taken that unit in like physics 30, like uh, quantum physics. And I was like, I could do this. Like, this is really fun. I like the particles and stuff. And my mom looked at me and she was like, not with the way you're doing math. No, you don't <laughs> like it. Like, not anymore. <laughs> and I like... I really appreciate that. <laughs> mm. But this is this is actually a, something I've noticed with um, actually science majors. Um, it's that you are um, in this program that you need to um, not only retain it, 
very gigantic amount of information, but also, you know, acquire more knowledge. And uh, it's more knowledge-based um, field rather than an opinion-based field or something that humanities is. And when you, when you're in high school, you don't necessarily face with this fact, but when you're in university and there are all different types of programs, all different types of courses, and um, some of these majors are things that actually make you feel understood and listened, like philosophy, you write papers about um, why you think, why your opinion is, a, what your opinion is about to philosophers or something, while you're just reading lab reports um, and also writing lab reports and, uh, you know, these kind of things in, in, in science majors. And I think a lot of the students uh, face the question that, okay, am I actually interested in science or is it something that I'm mm -hmm. following just because my parents said so, or is it just because it was the first thing that it, it was the first thing on the table? Okay. What do you want to study? Even the first major is astronomy in the yes. uh, course, <laughs> course list. So yeah. Do, did you ever, I mean, you said you faced that, but, but how, what actually stopped you from changing your program? Yeah, what did it look like? My my story is so uninspiring. If I tell you, you're gonna laugh. Um, I think when I was younger, like I did not like science at all. Mm -hmm. I actually wanted to be a lawyer. I'm a very argumentative person. I was like, I'm just gonna yell at everyone. And the best way to do it is as a lawyer because I can get paid at the same time. And then I was really into writing and that sort of stuff. So I thought, you know, I'll be a freelance writer, but you know, my actual job, because I think I told you this last time we talked, because all the Iranian people in my family, they say like, you should have your real job and then your hobby job. So my hobby job was going to be writing and then my real job was going to be being a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And then I went to my dad and I told him my plan and he was like, yeah, definitely not. Like the world has too many lawyers and he isn't, he was an engineer, an electrical engineer. So um, he was saying, Regine, you always have to stay true to the science. You never want to uh, become one of those people who doesn't know what's going on in the world around them. So, you know, get a degree in science. And then if you like it, your after degree, cause you have to get a degree anyways, before you went to law can be your um, law degree. So I was very frustrated at the time. And I don't know why I was like, sure. I'm just going to listen to this one piece of advice that he randomly told, told me on like a Tuesday afternoon. But anyways, um, I was frustrated about this. And I think I must've been in about grade eight or something. You know what I mean? I was like young and uh, my, grade nine, grade eight science teacher, he came up to me and he was like, you know what, back, back then also my grades in science and math were not that good compared to my English and like social studies grades. And uh, he was like, you know what, I feel like you're actually not bad at science, but like you just don't apply. I think he was saying like, you don't apply yourself or something to that effect, right? Mm -hmm. So when science fair came around, he enrolled me without telling me in this program, like, why is this? Like women in science, women in STEM. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the acronym. Yeah. This looks so bad. Every time I talk to you, I forget the acronyms for everything. I think it's but, science, uh, technology, engineering, something like that. And yeah, and mathematics, right? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you so much. I was gonna say technology, and I'm like, no, that's definitely wrong. Um I don't know. I'm just guessing. No, you're, I think you're right. That makes sense. <laughs> Why is this can come and set the record straight later? Like, um, but yeah, no. And so I did like my one of my science for projects, like at the U of A. And that science project was like extracting oil from bitumen, but using mm -hmm. electricity rather than uh, steam, because it'd be a little bit more environmentally conscious. And uh, because he let me go to the U of A and I got to go into the engineering building, I went to ETLC with some master's student and we 
did it in the lab because he had all the equipment to do it we use my idea or whatever and he basically just made it come to life mm. and uh i like ended up going to like regionals or something that year and i won a whole bunch of awards like um and i had never thought of myself as a science person so i was like oh that's kind of cool like maybe i'll do it and i think like it was literally because that one science student that science teacher who like put me in that program where i was like oh maybe i'll start like taking this a little bit more seriously but my plan was still to go into law afterwards so i did I chose immunology randomly in my under, I think I told this in high school, it was in grade 12 one day and I was like, hmm, I remember this class from bio 20. This seemed kind of fun. Like it seemed like, um, like T cells are cool. And then I chose mm -hmm. it and I just turned out, I liked it. Like I kind of tested everything else when I was at university and I was like, actually, this was the right choice for me. And now I've decided I don't want to do law school. So <laughs> it all worked out. I see. I see. Um, yeah, that's that that is actually fascinating. Uh it's not that kind of uninspiring history because um that's the um essence of of a lot of I would say even the highly successful people, they have done something that they have found just okay, yeah. This is this is I think like there is a small light that I can see the next step. I don't really know what's gonna happen. So I'm just gonna take the next step and see what's gonna happen. Um and okay um in your um again you're in in probably you're graduating last you're having your last semester right you're graduating yeah, yeah. this semester and <laughs> yeah one of the fun things uh, and also not really fun challenging i would say but fun and challenging things about um being in the last years of your degree is that you not only get to acquire more knowledge you also start actually applying your knowledge Yes. And that's when especially science made science programs become quite creative fields that you right. know that, okay, here's the thing I can be creative in this aspect. And um, I remember the time that we first met, you were having, you were trying to write your thesis and you were having a project to finish. And it, it was, it was very challenging for you, not challenging. And is like hard, but it, it was something that on the top of your mind. Um, and, and you were really enjoying it. Uh, but what were you doing? Were you actually being creative in that aspect or is it just research? Is it just observing things? Yeah, uh, that's actually a great question. And you know what, like, I think you've phrased it very well, like science degrees become fun in your third year. I actually hated my degree so much. I should have said this before in my first two years, because you're taking bio 107, chem 101. I hated those courses so much. And I actually did so poorly. And then like, I struggled, I just did not like it. Well, that's um, not comforting because yeah, I have a test. Okay, you were saying, sorry for interrupting. Sorry. You're going to do great in your chem 101 test. I personally just could not handle learning general stuff all that you know when you take like chem 101 or bio 107 you learn a little bit about everything mm -hmm. I feel like that's not maybe how my brain personally works I just I could not handle it when I took like for example recently big shout out to MMI 415 run by Dr. Shimolovitz everyone should take it if they're in biosci uh, it's a virology class you just do a deep dive on viruses the good viruses the bad viruses and I feel like that's what I could wrap my brain around. So that's when you get to be creative because like you've taken all the stuff you've learned from like four years in your degree and it's just 12 of us discussing viruses. And I always thought, you know, I'd be like intimidated by a class like that or like 
um, they'd be like so hard, but I feel like those have been the easiest classes on my degree because we're all just equally interested in the topic, the very small topic of viruses and you can talk about it endlessly. Um, but about my thesis, yeah, I feel like that was also, thesis are also kind of fun, I, but also, okay, I'm just saying a lot of positive stuff because I'm in a positive mood today. It was so challenging. <laughs> Let me just caveat this. Um, my undergrad thesis was like uh, called MMI, which is Medical Microbiology and Immunology 499. So it's like a self-directed research class that you do under the supervision of a PI. So my PI was Dr. Lisa Willis. She is a glycobiologist. Um, she has a really great, great lab, which does great, great research um, at U of A in the BioSci um, building. So mm-hmm. really have to get lost to come find it. <laughs> but we basically in that lab study glycobiology, which is a study of sugars or specifically glycans, which are long chains of sugars in the human body. So all cells in your body have sugars, which basically categorize what cell that cell is, you know what I mean? Like if you have this sugar, then that's how we know that this cell is a T cell versus a B cell. And those sugars change based on the physiological and immunological status um, of those cells. So when your body is under attack, the actual like cell outer like extracellular structure changes in what type of sugars it displays in response to that because it can help it um, notify other cells and also literally help it in like um, fighting the infection. Mm-hmm. So I basically was working with that lab to look at the expression patterns of a particular sugar called polycyalic acid, which is just a long chain of like eight or more sialic acids. Um, that within the immune system so specifically within t-cell and t-cell type structures so it is very creative because when you're looking to see is something there within the immune system and when is it there and why is it there you have to do a lot of like brainstorming like what kind of techniques am i going to use to like identify this sugar okay this sugar is so temperamental and awful and it wants to degrade every time you look at it the wrong way like how am i going to control factors or sort of stuff like that. So I thought that all around, when you're being creative, like you say, in science, it can get really frustrating really fast because especially in science, you have to consider like statistics that come into play. Like, are things working because you're for- forcing them to work mm-hmm. or are they working because you're doing it correctly? Um, so, you know, you have that creative aspect of like, how can I do this experiment and like also kind of on a budget because I'm an undergrad student I can't be spending thousands of dollars on this but also at the same time it's a little bit frustrating because I just want to be able to run it through a machine and say yes or no like this sugar is there so it took me eight Mm. months to like find it (laughs) and how was the researching process as in like um just making sure that you have the building blocks that you need because sometimes you are trying to be as creative as you can but you're just not aware of one small thing so you're just killing yourself after two or three weeks and you just go to your professor and say hey it's not working and they're like Mm -hmm. did you try this and it's like what the heck is that i know and then you cry you go home and you cry actually that's what happens i know what that's happened to almost everyone in my lab as an undergrad like you go in uh a fellow like colleague of mine he did his thesis he was looking at this for this protein he found the protein but he thought he didn't because there was an autolytic cleavage that happened during his Western blot that he didn't know actually existed. So sometimes proteins when they're um, just under stress or just in general, they'll like cut themselves in half on their own 
Uh-huh. His protein did that. So in a Western blot, it looked like he had two smaller proteins, not his actual protein. Oh. So he threw away all his work. And then literally four months later, after reading a random paper, like by chance, he was like, oh my gosh, no, that was actually my protein. So he had to go back and redo everything. It was so painful. Um, but you know what? Like he's getting a paper published. So like good for him. But oh my gosh, like I felt so bad. He came in the next day. He's like, guess what? I just found out, you know, that presentation I did. It actually was positive. It wasn't negative. And I was like, oh my gosh. Um, so yeah, a lot of that stuff happens, especially in the field of polycyclic acid, which is very new. We don't know a lot about polycyclic acid outside of the um, neuron, the neural microenvironment, I guess I'll call it. We know a lot about how it works in neurons specifically, but now we're discovering it within the immune system, within the reproductive system and within the tumor like environment. So like within tumors, I want to say tumor microenvironment, but that's technically wrong. So the tumoral environment. Mm-hmm. So um, like, I don't know, it was just sort of like, um, I had to read a lot of papers, like, and basically scavenge random information together. And then people in my lab were telling me like, oh yeah, I redid this experiment that this paper did and they actually did it incorrectly and the results are actually not true. So we should just not, we should disregard that entire paper. So there's a lot of like that kind of stuff where I was relying a lot of my experiments on things I had read before and then being like, oh, this person was someone I think who wanted a positive result, mm-hmm. published their positive result, but it actually like can, their work cannot be replicated. So I thought that was without get like boring everyone, I thought that was like so frustrating. And I think that's what you face a lot in research is sort of like, I am an undergrad, like I'm like 21 and I'm reading all this random stuff that like barely makes any sense to me. Um, and you feel like frustrated a lot of the time. Like, cause I know a lot of people in research will say, yes, I love reading papers. I don't know any sane person who loves reading that much, like that many papers, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? In general, um, we just say that so we can look fancy and feel good about how much time we've like spent on it. But I think that's what it is. So there's a lot of like brainstorming and reading and then collaborating. So in that sense, science can be really creative and collaborative because you seriously have to talk to everyone, you know, before you run the experiment or after you run the experiment to make sure that did it go well? Am I missing something? A friend of mine had an antibody just was reacting to everything. It was just a bad antibody. And so all his tests were coming out positive and he was so proud of himself. And then we did like a control test and we were like, no, actually (laughs) we need to redo four months of research (laughs) yeah yeah so sometimes like lab work is like that so you have to be really really comfortable with failure that's actually when I had my first interview with Dr. Willis one of her questions was do you feel like you're comfortable with failure and at the time I was like yeah I think so I I feel like I'm so comfortable with it and it wasn't until like my first summer there that I was like oh now I am now I am becoming comfortable with it because you know you have to really get patient with yourself and um, the work that you're doing be comfortable with failure yeah i think so oh you don't yeah. know that <laughs> he's like yeah you'll see and i was like yeah i did actually i really did <laughs> i spoke too soon but let's let's now get business a little bit from from academics um you are also interested well the word interested doesn't really um fulfill what i'm trying to say but you're also into sustainability and you have you have started a um you have co-started a um a student initiative named dish zero if i'm not mistaken Mm -hmm. and um it's 
what is it actually okay do you want to explain from a to z yeah, I, yeah, okay. a to z. <laughs> so the elevator pitch which i delivered so poorly last time so i'm maybe the second time will be better now that we're re-recording is um dish zero is a reusable takeout container and mug share program so on campus you'll find if you've been here in person for maybe longer than a semester you'll notice that there's always so much garbage piled up in cab not so much in sub but specifically in cab and in other buildings you know there's garbage everywhere and i remember in my first year of university i was walking around being like oh my gosh like i never realized how much garbage we make as a student body because there's like thirty thousand of us on campus if you include all the graduate students and everything right so um my friend and i were doing some research because at the time we were volunteering with the reusable dish program and we found that um, in a municipality, the largest producer of GHG or greenhouse gas emissions um, is single use like plastic mm-hmm. or like packaging like styrofoam because there's so much energy that goes into it to produce it, but also so much energy that's involved with the breaking down of it when we put it in the land field, the land field, landfill. Um, and then second to that would be like heating your homes and air conditioning, HVAC and AC. So, and then after that is like driving, like, and transportation within a municipality, not on like a large scale. So we thought, well, like, this is a problem that can actually like be solved fairly simply because all you need to do is just reuse items instead of, especially since our campus is relatively like a closed environment, people usually go from class to class or class to dorms or whatever, they eat within the campus before they go home. So we we could provide plates, we could provide something that's reusable to reduce all the single use waste on campus. And also, even if you don't care about sustainability, just reduce the amount of garbage that you see on a day to day basis um, on your campus. So Dish Zero is essentially a program that offers you a takeout container that would looks identical to the styrofoam container or paper container that you get in cab or sub or hub. Um, and also sort of like mugs that can hold hot and cold drinks um, that vendors will provide you if you choose with your meal that you can use on campus. So the way that it works on a day-to-day basis is I wanna eat lunch, say at Philly Sticks, I go to Philly Sticks and I say, hey, can I get my lunch today in a Dish Zero container? They say, sure, sounds good. They hand it to me and there's a QR code on the top of the box. I just scan the QR code with my phone and I think I just have to sign in. Actually, I don't think I know. You just have to sign in one time with your uh, Alberta ID, and then it mm-hmm. saves it every time afterwards. You just select, like, you press OK, I signed it out. And then you eat your lunch in that container and then passively drop it off in basically like a garbage can that's designated for dish zero boxes. So it'll be clearly labeled dish zero drop off station. Then you like go about your life and do your thing. And one of our uh, Dish Zero volunteers will come at the end of the day and pick up, you know, the um, huge garbage can that contains all the Dish Zero boxes, roll it over to the Myra Horowitz Catering Center while they'll sanitize and wash all the containers and mugs at 180 degrees Celsius. And then sign, actually before this will happen, they'll sign back in all the containers that have been returned at the end of the day. So right now, there's no cost to enter the program. And because we're just doing a pilot project, I'll wrap this up quickly, um, because we're just doing a pilot project where if you break the box or if you lose the box, there's no charge to you either. We just wanna basically change the behavioral, um, 
right? The behavioral, like the decision-making of students on campus so that they choose sustainable choices over unsustainable choices when it comes to purchasing food. So you know that all your containers are gonna be sanitized and they're gonna be clean because also the vendors are gonna hold on to them when they're not being washed by the Myra Horwitz Catering Center. And then in the meantime, you don't have to pay to make the more sustainable option. So we're trying to make this as attainable as possible. I feel like that makes a little bit more sense than what I said last time. Please let me know if that did not make sense. <laughs> no, it did actually. It was it, um, it was a way better pitch, by the way. I think oh, thank it you. <laughs> can be a really good practice if you're trying to apply for, for any grants or something. Okay, perfect. I, I'll call you again the third time, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, but okay, so that's the overall um idea, execution, and how it's technically managed. How many how many volunteers do you have? Currently there's a team of 10 of us who basically are running the logistics of it, like the planning of it right now, and we'll also help actually volunteer for the program once it launches this September. But we're currently recruiting. So if you find this cool and you're interested in just like reducing waste on campus, you're more than welcome to shoot me an email and join the team. Perfect. Um, but just to make sure, um, none of the volunteers are actually washing dishes, are they? No, just because we want to make sure that everything's done according to AHS standards. Mm -hmm. um, they're just transporting dishes to the Meyer Horowitz Catering Center and signing them back in. Mm -hmm. And you'll be provided with biodegradable gloves and uh, masks. I see, you. I see choose yes <laughs> but um okay so technically despite the fact that it's it's a non-profit organization mm -hmm. um but you guys are paying uh for the dishes to be washed yes we mm -hmm. are so in my I, okay so i have a question here that if there is this um because, you know, the, the idea behind it, obviously the execution is very hard, but the idea behind it is, is very simple and um, it's, it doesn't require a lot of, um, I would say, management, engineering, you know, all of these things. You yeah. don't really have yeah. a product, right? right. Um, so in terms of applying for grants and actually providing the financial means to execute such a thing, uh, was it easy to say, okay, we have this idea, which is very simple, but we just need a lot of money. Um, was it, was it, was it easy to, to acquire that? I think, like you said, because the idea is so simple, like it becomes, people don't want it to be an expensive project. And unfortunately, when it comes to sustainability, like, I personally believe the more sustainable option should always be the cheaper option too. If your sustainable option is like in the long term, mm -hmm. upfront costs do exist, right? But if you have like the sustainable option is consistently costing more than the unsustainable option, then you're doing something that's too showy. Like, you know what I mean? You're buying like something that's being, I don't know, greenwashed or something. You know what I'm getting at? So for Dish Zero, the upfront costs are high. Like if I want to buy um, all my boxes and my mugs, I have to pay $3,000 for the boxes. And I think I paid 3,500 for the mugs. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I have like 900 mugs and 800 wow. boxes. I have a whole bunch of them. That's so many. so many mugs. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, Did you go to Ikea or Dollarama? Please. No, <laughs> 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 uh, I went to, there's a plastic company called Hubert uh -huh. and they ship 
for us. Uh, we yeah, we just chatted with them and they have a they have a product that's like heat label. It's like a, so like heat stable. It's like dishwasher safe. We want to make sure that like you don't really get that sort of like microplastic poisoning or you know when you heat up something. I don't know. My mom always used to say you put boiling water in a water bottle like you're killing yourself that sort of thing. So we really looked into the product. So the each box I think is about four fifty five dollars. So they're ex expensive upfront, but they last up to five years. So we did a little bit of math and a little bit of researching and we argued that each vendor will save i don't know up to 250 dollars a year if they choose this product over their own like purchasing styrofoam at like 20 cents a styrofoam box right so overall like we're safe okay we're saving vendors money um we're theoretically saving money because you're just paying for washing in the long term you're not paying for boxes so long as they're being returned and the tracking system is actually like being enforced mm -hmm. which especially after the pilot project i think it'll be enforced more severely like if you actually break a box or lose a box like we will charge you the actual cost of the container and not anything more um so writing the grants is a little bit convoluted because i had to say like this is a really good idea and it makes a lot of sense but we didn't have money to buy boxes so we, we can't just have like $150, we can't just have $1,000, like we need a lot of money. So when the first grant that we applied for was the Energy Management Sustainable Operations, the MSO major grant, and you're able to apply for up to $50,000, but we applied for 20,000 and we were awarded the full amount. Um, nice. And I had to write like, I had to really <laughs> convince them like, um, but, I, what they said at the time was, you know, we've actually been looking for a student group to do a project like this because they mm -hmm. also understood that the project is simple, but it just costs a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So luckily, they were already thinking on the same terms as we were. But the first time we applied for the SCF grant, which is up to $10,000, we were denied the SCF grant because I think it, we, it looked like the idea was too simple and too straightforward to be basically worthwhile of, an, you know, another 10000 So, um we had to go and really just get our research together and basically show that this project is basically meets the criteria of all three pillars of sustainability being mm -hmm. uh, ecological, social, and financial. So when you're using, when you're reusing versus recycling or whatever, repairing even, you are basically doing the most sustainable thing. Like people will say, oh, well, I can just recycle that or I can just have a biodegradable container, but there are wastes associated and there's a lot of energy specifically associated with, you know, putting those biodegradable containers in the landfill because they go in the landfill anyways. Let's just do full disclosure, right? Like, especially in Edmonton, if you have a biodegradable container, we don't have the proper infrastructure currently to uh, compose them and I don't know, do what actually needs to be done to make sure that they become, uh, they would, you know, expel less greenhouse gases mm -hmm. than like using styrofoam, right? You know what I'm getting at? Maybe now that we have that composting project in Edmonton, it's gonna get a little bit better, but um, currently we don't. And then also um, when we recycle things, there's so much energy associated with recycling. So we know that if we're just reusing items, we're doing the most ecological thing uh, so long as we're keeping all our boxes in good condition and we're not constantly rebuying them. And so for the same reason, if you're reusing the same item over and over again, you're not buying new product over and over again. So you're saving yourself money. If I buy one $5 item and I keep it for five years, then that's basically like 
the cost per use is like one cent or like less than a cent, right? Whereas if I have to buy a new box for every student who wants to buy lunch, the cheapest box I can find from a large scale manufacturer is 14 cents. Mm -hmm. So I'm still paying 14 cents every single time for five years. So even though it's like, oh, it's only 14 cents, well, 14 cents adds up over the course of five years, right? So that's the financial sustainability part. And for social sustainability, we're just trying to contribute to the well being of our campus mm -hmm. and we're trying to reduce the costs and reduce sort of like the barriers to access sustainable decision making. We don't want it to be like, oh, only rich students on campus or only privileged students on campus uh, are able to bring their own reusable containers yeah. or sort of like save energy. We want it to be open to everyone, regardless of whether they live on campus or not. You know, um, I feel like you, you know, it's, yeah, it's yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I'm going on a rant. No, it's all right. Um, but at the same time, um, an idea can be great. And also um, the culture about it mm -hmm. needs to be present. So the execution can be at least flawless. Um, and I'm not sure if in the time that you were trying to, I think you were, you initiated the entire system before COVID. Mm -hmm. And well, obviously when COVID hits, everything stops. Um, mm -hmm. How did you, I mean, you can make sure, but how did you adapt to the, to the situation and making sure that um, you're not just, you know, spending money and you're not just um, putting effort into something that, it, it did, that the entire campus's community is not ready yet? Yeah, and I think that's a really good point. You know, um, nothing is worse than spending a frivolous amount of money mm -hmm. on something and then the campus community says, oops, I changed my mind and we don't want that. Uh, we really want to change the behaviors of campus. And we, I think we recognize too that that's going to take a lot of work. Um, and I think what I told you that when we first started this project, like the the people of Edmonton were not ready for a sustainable project yet. That's my opinion. I think there have been so many grassroots like ecological pro um, projects or like sustainability initiatives all over Edmonton, but there's a niche or like a certain demographic of people who are consistently involved in them. And it's the same people over and over again. Mm -hmm. I don't think it up until like recently it's involved most of Edmonton, you know what I mean? Um, and unfortunately when it comes to like discussing sustainable initiatives or discussing like how can we make Edmonton or even the U of A a greener place. Um, this is something that like indigenous people have been talking about for like the big, since the beginning of time basically. And basically everyone else has just been ignoring them about. So I think it's important that like finally, especially after all the protests that we probably saw on campus oh, about a year or so ago, since the Green New Deal has been something that's been brought up over in the United States, people are sort of like thinking about it a little bit more on campus and finally recognizing what's already being said by other groups of people like forever. So luckily, COVID paused us long enough where other people kind of changed their minds a little bit. And uh, we wanted to kind of get a feel for what, what do the people think, right? Like, do you think that they're going to use it? So before we spend any money, because if we don't spend it, we can actually just return it. Anything mm -hmm. that's not spent. So right now we're actually, I think we're probably going to return a good chunk, almost I think up to $10,000 that EMSO gave us is going to go back to them because we're not going to actually need that money. So we're just going to 
you know, give it back, you know, because we don't want to just take it for just no reason. Keep it. I think we have to show receipts. <laughs> <laughs> um, but before we spent any of that money, we did a campus-wide reception survey, and we asked everyone. It was open to students and staff. Like, this is the idea. Would you do it? And I think I did some math the other day, and over eighty-nine percent of people said that they would use it five times, like uh, fifty percent of the time or more. And then like 50% of people said they'd use it every single time. So I thought that was awesome. And that was great because you know what, like in 2018 or 2019, if I brought this up, people would just say, oh, this is such a feminine thing, or this is such a liberal thing, or this is such a blah, 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 whatever thing. And for me, like, I think it's important, even though I personally believe that full disclosure, like I have more left-leaning ideologies, I don't think it's relevant to really politicize it because I don't want there to be a backlash from people on campus and say, oh, this is a whatever project, this is a radicalized blah, 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 because it's not. It just makes sense to like reduce garbage. So regardless of whether you think this is political or not, I just think sustainability just makes the most sense. If you just follow the research, it just makes the most sense financially and when it comes to uh, and ecologically, right? So. I digress, um, but hopefully that answered your question. Yeah, it, it actually <laughs> did. Thank you very much. Um, now let's get a little bit personal in terms of that initiative. Um, so you have a um, team of, I think you said 12 volunteers right now? I think currently it's 10, yeah. 10, okay. So 10 volunteers and um, so how okay what who are the volunteers what's the kind of the demographic are they all science students um is are they all undergraduate students how is the i would say the knowledge level of the team yeah we are all over the place um first of all we are we are fundamentally for students by students we wanted to really emphasize that this is a group of students who care a lot about this, uh, like what the student body wants. So every decision we've made regarding like QR codes on the boxes or even which boxes we've chosen has been, it's been chosen by undergraduate students or recent grads, um, basically keeping the interests of current grad, like students in mind, right? So we have, um, oh my goodness, I can't think. We have a whole bunch of people in ALES. So those people, they sort of specialize in the researching of um, the researching portion of our team, basically mm -hmm. gathering information on like the ecological side of things. We also have a handful of engineering students. They're the ones who are working on our tracking system, the QR code based, um, and also like creating our website and that sort of thing. We have some people who are just in biology. Uh, we have myself who's also in biology and um, the rest of them, so if we're not in engineering and we're not doing the website stuff and the tracking system, and if we're not in ALS and not doing that research, we're working on like the finance part, like grant application, and also just like reaching out and collaborating and just like doing the brain work of like planning, if that sort of makes sense, like, mm -hmm. oh, what do you do? Like, how is this going to work? Uh, so a lot of the people now are recent grads. So the other co-founder, uh, myself, Sorry, I don't know why I'm saying myself, I'm still in school. Um, Alacy, she, Alacy Mulbauer, she's a recent graduate. She graduated, I believe like a year and a half ago and she mm -hmm. studied chemistry and biology. And um, we have Allegra Martel, who's also a co-founder and she just graduated from engineering. Uh, so we're all over the place to be honest, 
but then it's good because everyone has their own little specialization. And I think that when you have students who are not really involved, most of us are not really involved in like quote unquote leadership initiatives on campus, mm-hmm. then you're getting the voice of the entire student body. Like not to get into this too much, but I think that sometimes, especially the leadership community on campus is like an echo chamber of everyone who's like, yes, 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 yes. And these are all things that they probably agree with. But um, sometimes when we're all together and we're talking about stuff, we don't really represent the needs or the wants of the entire campus, which are literally most of the time, especially for science and engineering students, just people who go to school, study, go home. Yeah. Yeah. And then like do their job or do lab work. They're not really so concerned about like, I don't know, social concerns or social causes or whatever, whatever. And they don't want to put all this work into doing that kind of stuff because for them, they want to go to class. They want to get their degree. They have other responsibilities, jobs to deal with, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So this way, at least I think because we have a whole slew of people, we have a whole slew of opinions as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I completely understand that. Um, That's actually one thing that was good about universities and um, turned out to be um kind of faded away as the universities got bigger um like in my first year i was in augustana it's a very small campus it's a very small community it's so small and um i would say it's in nature so it's in some essence it's very isolated it's so small Mm -hmm. that if someone walks into the cafeteria slash dining hall and is having an unusual face you definitely know okay there is something wrong it's it's so easy because everyone is so close to each other and that's how you feel the social responsibility and that's another part of actually growing up rather than um just you know going to campus having your classes seeing a bunch of your friends and coming back i have a ton of friends on north campus who are in their third year and they Mm -hmm. know about 10 to 12 people and that's it and as well as that, um, another thing um, about about having a team which is relatively small, I mean, your team is just 10 people, mm-hmm. is that making sure that your team is not biased in some essence, because um, I'm not trying to be offensive in some way, but it's just you um, and your team being interested mm-hmm. in science sustainability, <laughs> and that can limit the perspective heavily. So how do you sometimes manage to to actually overcome that and sometimes make sure that, okay, this is something that we may not be really interested in, but this this is true and we need to pay attention to that. Yeah, and I think that's really, really important because um, I really dislike and I'm really hesitant to make us an echo chamber. That's why a lot of us who first joined the program especially the engineering students, they're interested in sustainability, but it's not like their main focus. So it's important to have opinions of people who are like, yeah, but what about the other feasibility of this? You know what I mean? We shouldn't put like, um, I don't know. For us, it's like obviously sustainability above all else, but also it's like, how is just the average student going to respond to this? So whenever I'm coming up with ideas and stuff, I feel like, especially when you're in immunology, you're dealing with a lot of people who go to school, go to lab, go home. They don't care about all that other stuff. They're the people who probably voted no for the gateway and APERG and stuff and like the referendums. You know what I mean? Like they don't care about any of that kind of stuff. So I'll go and bounce off ideas with them too. And I'll be like, well, would you do this? Like, would you would you scan like a QR code on a box to save, I don't know, 
to save the environment. And some of them were like, no, I wouldn't do that. That's too much work. And I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, cool. Like I, I would, but like, you wouldn't like, you know what I mean? That's some, not something that like, I would know unless I kind of ask around mm -hmm. um, or like, would you do it if you got a discount? And they're like, yeah, okay. Then I would, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. So I have to, a lot of times bring in other people into the conversation um, who don't necessarily want to be part of the volunteer team, but are just willing to bounce ideas off of me and just like, like, you know, let me know what do you think and that's why i think that also the reception survey was also useful because a lot of people were like i don't even have a smartphone i have a flip phone and i'm like okay how do i accommodate for this unfortunately <laughs> we found out we cannot like uh, without making it too much work but um you know just like things like that where you just have to ask the people to be honest my boyfriend is in chemistry and in he minors in math he is not interested in stuff like this at all i go to him all the time and i'll be like would you do this? And he's just like, no, I wouldn't. And so I'm like, okay, good to know. <laughs> How better should I make it? <laughs> I'm like, what would you do? And he's like, I would do it if this was happening. Or like, he often will say like, I'll do it for 10 cents off mm. or like whatever, you know what I mean? I'm like, oh, because a lot of students, you know, especially when you're like in college, you don't have a lot of money, 10% off for 10, whatever, um, the discount makes a difference. So that's also why, like if currently, if you go to Philly Sticks and you use Dish Zero, you'll get 10% off your order. Um, because they have a green space rating that allows them to do that. But um, so that's something that we want to push too, so that the people actually, if they don't do it for an ecological reason, they do it for a financial reason, you know what I mean? But that's something not something I would have even thought about unless I asked you know, him and my friends mm -hmm. who don't care about the environment. <laughs> I understand. Now get now let's get a little bit too personal not too personal but more personal um okay on on regular basis you, you know you're quite a busy person um how do you plan your life because i've I've interviewed people some of them are like i live based on a calendar mm -hmm. and i hate it when i don't know a slot a specific slot needs to be changed because my entire life becomes a domino um so are you are you that kind of a person because i've met a lot of people who have different styles i'm like oh man i can't i can't keep track yeah. of this i think I, I i'd like to be that person but i'm definitely not like i'm like i'm gonna get organized this year this is happening to me right now i'm like getting my google calendar ready whatever whatever but I am just unorganized by nature when it comes to like planning my life in a Google calendar. I think what I've realized is, is as a student, you can never, maybe you can based on what you're describing, but in my opinion, I can never have full control of my own schedule. I have to be accommodating. I have to practice like letting go. Cause especially when in my, you know, um, second year, I was working for the reusable dish program, uh, over there, if something goes wrong, I have to get called in. Uh, so, the Reasonable Dish Program, just very quickly, is a program that lends out free dishes to student groups on campus when they're having mm -hmm. holding meetings and stuff, and also at a small cost um, for external groups throughout Edmonton. So similar idea to Dish Zero, but it's only on a campus-wide sort of basis. And that's actually how we tried to start the program is through the Reasonable Dish Program, but they just simply don't have the infrastructure to sort of expand mm -hmm. for the next like decade or 10 years. So a decade is 10 years. Anyways, you got it. But um, anyways, I think when I was working that job, there would be a lot of like crises, like regime, stop what you're doing, come over here, regime, stop what you're doing, go over there. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of my life has been like, I'm going to do this. This is my five-year plan. And then something goes like chaotically wrong. Uh, I no longer have a grip on anything I was going to like planning to do. And I have to like readjust. I'm trying to practice being a little bit more accommodating of that. So I usually like have a Google calendar. I go to class, whatever, but I have gaps in it so that I can sort of like 
accommodate. Does that sort of make sense? I know I have to get to class and I'll do that. And then in between, like anything could happen, like, you know what I mean? Um, and then at some point my assignments get done and at some point I visit my friends, but um, I can't plan out every second of my life because yeah, it would domino and then I would probably go insane. <laughs> I understand. Um, yeah, that's that's something that I've, I've experienced. It's It's not really easy to not have to, control of your life but it's just life mm-hmm. you can't really control yeah. it um and what's the next step after you graduate are you are you are you planning of staying in i know you moved up i know you've re- your recent no you will be moving out i'm not i'm actually not oh. sure <laughs> no you know what you should see the other side of the zoom call like i have everything in boxes right now <laughs> um i am moving out This is also the first time I'll be living alone, mm-hmm. um, which is, I guess, old for some people, but I considered very young, I think, for like the Iranian community, like my mom is not happy about it. But my family is moving to BC and uh-huh. I will be staying here for the last semester of my degree. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm currently in the process of applying for master's programs in the field of public health and I think virology as well, mm-hmm. So, which would start next September. And then in the meantime, I think I'm going to go back, see my family in BC, and then um, try and do a little bit of work on Dish Zero and a little bit of like lab internship type stuff where I can kind of dip my toes into public health a little bit more. Because right now, a lot of my degree looks like, like I, I have done like cancer research, I've done like this biochemistry research, but I haven't really done anything on a broader scale that involves public health. So I'd like to do something a little bit more in that side of things, a little bit more in that field. Mm-hmm. Um, And then hopefully do a master's. That'd be a lot of fun. I just like going to school, actually. So my dream is just to keep studying until they like until I'm done. Like Maybe you should become, uh, maybe you should go to academia. You never know. Oh, yeah. But I also feel like um, I couldn't handle the insanity. Like, mm-hmm. especially I think you'll find like once you get into your third and fourth year and you spend a lot of time around professors, it is so clicky. Like you would think that like as a professor, you're sort of mature, you're an adult, you're whatever. It is not like that. There is so much beefing and fighting and craziness and like whatever. So um, I was trying to get into academia and then I really rethought it and was like, maybe I should just work with the people. Like, that's why I chose public health. I understand. Um, yeah, that's, um, I mean, you've just started another phase of life. I mean, you will be just starting another phase of life. Yeah. And it's always very exciting and at the same time quite scary because you never know what's going to happen. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited for you about that. Um, thank, you. thank you very, very much for having this chat. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, thank you very much for doing it the second time now. It's, it's, yeah. it's our fourth meeting. Um, and yeah it was it's definitely my it's going to be my hopefully if it exists if my computer doesn't crash right now um this this episode is going to be my favorite thank you very very much oh thank you so much i really really appreciate you having me also for the second time too because i know it took time on your own schedule and i'm really really excited for you to come to north campus and i hope thank that you. everyone can see you i feel like you're such a bright and like you give me so much hope i was not this optimistic in my second year <laughs> so seeing students like you actually makes me so excited and so happy for the future of you know biology students like look at us go and thank you so much for this conversation too because i feel like it's so thought-provoking on my end i've had a great time this time and the last time as well
Thank you. I'm very happy about that. It makes me uh, very happy. <laughs> All right. Um, have a nice day. Thank you, everyone, for uh, listening, not watching, because it's not a YouTube video. Uh, thank you very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, I will include uh, Regine's uh, contact information if you want to volunteer with Dish Zero. And have a great day. I don't know when you're listening, so have a great day, and bye-bye.